0: welcome to another episode of hogtown hangs a podcast from the hogtown brass i'm your host jay austin and i'm joined today by my co-host tristan ty hello hi we just had a great chat with artist manager and agent and teacher and and savant and restaurant lover andrew kwan (laughs) (laughs) uh andrew is a really close friend of ours um and Boy, did he give us a lot to think about.
1: A lot. It was uh, it was really nice to, to reconnect with him after you know eight years since we took his uh, you know communications and business seminar at the Glenn Gould School. But uh, really nice to, to hear a familiar face with a lot of insight into performing in the industry.
0: Yeah. If if anyone is looking for for advice on presenting uh, yourself, your music, uh, there's. Get, get a notepad and some paper or a, a pen, I, I should say, because there's lots of it's a, there's a, a lot of nutrition uh, in the next hour or so. But before we get to that, Tristan, we got to perform.
1: We did first time. And what was the day count?
0: Oh, it was five hundred and seventy something days
1: since our last uh, yeah. appearance live on stage. I think it was Christmas Eve 2019, I believe, was our last That's official right. show.
0: Yeah. It was, it was, it was crazy. Uh, I mean, so the first day back we were performing for a sound guy and and four cameras. (laughs) And I think all each of us had the uh, it's not Ron Burgundy, but uh, from Talladega and Ricky Bobby where, you know, what am I supposed to do with my hands? (laughs) Where am I supposed to look? (laughs) And then, uh, and then we recorded for the vibrant classical festival in Brampton. So that, do you remember it's August 8th I think. I
1: think it's august 8th and 9th uh, i believe we'll throw yeah. it up in the show notes
0: we'll, we'll make sure we, we put it up on our social feeds as well but uh some some live in-person recorded concerts um <laughs> that i mean it's it's crazy that we we waited 18 months to perform and then all of a sudden it was three days in a row of of music and i guess we should say the third day was uh, a dear friend of the ensemble, Steve Abra. Uh, trumpet player who's played with us on a couple of occasions Uh, we played for his wedding on the Toronto Island congratulations Steve uh, and your your beautiful bride it was a wonderful sunny day and uh, what a what an amazing venue really yeah Uh, but yeah it's just so great to get back at it we uh, next week we're going to be I guess next week to us, but by the time everyone's hearing this, it'll be this week. You'll be able to see us uh, live via the internet from Midland, Ontario on Thursday night at seven 30. We'll make sure we share that as well. But um, you know, I, I don't think we have anything else to add. It's just great to be back and great to be performing. And I think we should just get over to Andrew. Giddy up. I'm very pleased at this time to welcome Andrew Kwan. Welcome to the podcast, Andrew.
2: Oh, well, thank you, thank you, Jay, thank you, Tristan. Good to see you guys again.
0: Very Soon. nice to see you. I think I think it behooves our listeners to understand that Professor Kwan taught Tristan and I just about everything we know about the music business in a wonderful course at the Royal Conservatory of Music, uh, and has been a very—he's uh, been an ally of the ensemble, we'll say, over the last oh, geez, seven, eight years, in helping us know how to cash checks and talk to presenters <laughs> and...
2: <laughs> yes i think it was some type of a, a municipal office space that we were talking in uh, i don't want to say peterborough well what's i don't even remember what's oh london ontario
0: london ontario, oh, ontario. Yeah. that's, ontario. that's right that have been we ontario contact 2016
2: i think so yeah you're young enough to remember these
0: <laughs> <laughs> older every day andrew older every day um <laughs> So I'd like to start, I mean, I going back to my, my. I'll say that I'll say my early teenage years, I became fascinated with the idea of being an agent um, after seeing Jerry Maguire. I think there was probably a large uptick in people wanting to be agents after uh, show me the money became part of the vernacular. But what led you into being an agent? What, what sort of, what was your path into arts management?
2: Uh, it, it was It was sort of a uh, I, I sometimes attribute it back to my grade eleven guidance counselor in high school. Uh, back in those days, it was one of the first time they introduced this type of uh, career questionnaire, and you know, one hundred and fifty questions. And you know, I was sixteen at the time, I didn't know much and uh, answer them. And, and it's, it's spat out that's the ideal uh, career path was arts management uh, arts administration and that wasn't really even a term that was very in at the time um, and I remember uh, at that time there was only one program at University of Waterloo that had an arts administration program and it was very uh, it was very infantile at that time um, definitely not the complexity that it is today personally uh, as a uh, immigrant, uh, one, I can say that. I think I can. <laughs> um, the, the importance of music education was always part of the family uh, education process. Uh, as I was a pianist, I studied uh, at the Royal Conservatory. Um, and the idea of, of moving forward as a performer was always a little bit on the uh, hard sell. Uh, As we see even today, you know, it's it's very cultural that uh, Asian students uh, pursue music and when it gets to a career choice, they have to go into sciences and medicine or whatever, engineering. I chose economics and business probably because I didn't have the uh, capacity to be a doctor of medicine. Um, and, and, uh, And so moving into the arts administration field was something of a balance. I always knew that I had to have music. Uh, and the term arts is so such a range in that uh, there, there's visual arts, there's, there's uh, dance, there's opera, there's, there's classical music, there's pop, there's jazz. Um, my background, my love, my, my excitement uh, is, is that of Western European music, um, which is where the two of you guys studied. Uh, it's, it's ironic we think about the timeline of humankind and this little, little pocket of time, uh, sort of 1650 into the late 1800s, 1900s, and of course the foundation of contemporary music today. Uh, that, that stems from Western European uh, culture, um, has been the foundation of music programs around the world. Uh, it's not that... Uh, India, Asia, South America didn't have music right. during 1650. Um, every part of the globe had music, but somehow this specific music has has really broken through and uh, represented a lot of, of, of what we all believe in. Yeah. So that's the area which I focus in, and, uh, and that's the area which uh, I chose to pursue a career. I wasn't sure if it was strictly that as an agent. I, early after my university days, I thought about going to orchestral administration. I thought about going to venue administration. Uh, I actually, probably most of you guys don't realize, I was a management trainee program at the World Conservatory of Music for one year. Uh, There was a program that was co-sponsored by the Ontario Arts Council, funded through the Ministry of uh, Culture of Ontario at that time um, and uh, but the opportunity for me to to open up an agency yeah, came, came up and in 91, 1991 um, I started to, the company. So this September sees my 30th season.
0: Thirty. Years. Oh. I think I've been playing horn for twenty years, which like that realization made me feel old. <laughs> um, not to accuse. Uh, that I'm old.
2: But... <laughs> well, I started when I was fourteen, so.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. There you go. <laughs> um, now, I mean, over those thirty years, and really longer. I mean, coming out of being a piano student and, and just you know everything you just mentioned, I mean, the industry has changed just drastically, and I don't even necessarily mean the performing part of the industry, but the management part of the end, like getting into that circle and being, having people to manage, right? I mean, what changes have you, like, if you could, I mean, there's probably too many to list, but if there are a couple of really key ones that you've noticed since you really started in the industry, I mean, what would you, how would you respond to that? Uh,
2: Simply, uh, we don't use fax machines anymore. (laughs) Uh, and and I even remember that uh, I'm old enough to remember my clients uh, over the course of the the early 90s one by one we obviously started and had a fax number Um, but I remember many of my clients starting to purchase a fax machine at home and when we'd come back into the office the next morning we'd have guess we bought a new toy you know faxes coming in uh, through the middle of the night um, uh, things have changed. Everything has evolved. Um, I, I sometimes think that we feel in classical specifically, a classical genre of management administration, uh, that we're the only unique, uh, industry that's, that the rules of, of human nature doesn't apply to us because of the genre of music, Right. but you know, if, if I, you, know, you both of you guys know my, my love and passion for food as well, but if I said to you, who were the celebrity chefs from 30 years ago? You know, celebrity chefs were not a thing back then. Right. Today, everybody can name 15 celebrity chefs. Um, and so, from that point of view, our industry has changed the role of an agent manager, and one has to sort of split that up in in classical music it tends to be one person like myself or my colleagues uh, who wear that hats uh, in the pop and rock world there's actually two people who fulfill that role there is a manager and an agent in the classical world um an agent manager is someone who has a bit of quite a bit of knowledge base of the music of the art form of the ensembleship um and hopefully can advise based on that uh, knowledge base. Uh, And then the role of an agent uh, has also changed and that's technology plays a major part in our day-to-day activities. Um, Like I said, we don't use a fax machine, which means if you think about it, uh, back in 1990, 91, 92, 93, if I was to promote Hogtown Brass to someone in Kelowna, British Columbia, I would have to put a package together, weigh that package, go to the post office or, or at least have the capability, which obviously I did at the, at the office, uh, to mail that. And five business days, seven business days later, someone in British Columbia opened a package, Uh, put their cassette tape in, that's another common change, or put their CD in um, and read a biography printed on a piece of paper. So it would take that organization in Kelowna from point of contact five to seven days before they heard an artist of interest. Today, it's instantaneous. As we speak here in the Zoom room, I can send out an email, which would not be very polite of me. But uh, at the same time, you know, that's the... Actually, I shouldn't even need to. Um, Every artist who's at a professional level should have their website available. Mm -hmm. So things like that have changed drastically, that there's a lot more responsibility Uh, in partnership with agent managers that artists need to do for themselves. Um, And also the role as far as information. uh, Visa applications have gotten more complex over the years. If I told you how easy, literally how easy it was back in the day, um, it it would make you guys cringe about uh, what it was like to just go down to to the States to perform. Um, you're almost guaranteed uh, a P2 visa within three weeks. Um, ex- exactly. And, and at, at like a $125 application, um, taxation has become much more complicated. Things that Not that I'm a uh, U.S. tax specialist or an international tax specialist, but I need to have a general sense. Mm-hmm. Um, the complications of social media... Right. played a, uh, plays a major factor in, in the role of a manager today. Uh, so a lot of these things, which, which uh, we didn't really have to deal with, No, 30 years ago, we had a few directories. We had to make sure our advertisements were in there and we showed up at a conference with some photocopies.
0: Right. right. So Can I, can I ask one question, just last one, one last follow-up question on this off of a point you made there in terms of putting that paper package together and putting it in the mail and sending it off. Do you find in the new digital world, like, do you find that conversion rates are tougher to track when you don't have, like, was it easier to do, to make a booking when someone had physical paper and CD in hand Uh, or, or does that not really equate? Uh,
2: No one says no to my I'm just, joking. <laughs> I'm, just joking. I'm just joking. We have our first
0: flex of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> we'll keep a count, that's one. <laughs> no, no. Um,
2: is it easier? Uh, I've, I've incorporated video samplings on my website for all of my artists who have something that they're happy to, to have public. So to answer that question, um, I, I guess it's just more work. Like, it's just a given that every day you're counting out 75, 100 emails, both replies and, and, and propositions. Um, but it's, it's as compared to back in the day when we would pick up the phone and call if you receive that package. I, I guess. It's a matter of system, what type of internal system, um, and that's something new for myself. Uh, even during COVID, I unfortunately lost my associates during this uh, during this period, um, and I'm starting to look at things like DocuSign. You know, let's see what other platforms are out there that can assist the operations of a company like mine. Right. Um, you know, if, if real estate agents. Can, can sell million dollar homes with DocuSign. Surely an artist manager can do something like that. So um, is it easier to track, is it your tricks? It, it, it's, it's complicated and talking to my colleagues, I, I don't think any of us have a good system of keeping track of emails. It's kind of like if it's past the, you know, your little line of where you can read and the emails that come in, you forget about it at times. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. yeah. So as a result, I still have a little booklet here and a calendar booklet agenda that I you know quickly scribble something two weeks from now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <sighs> little system, old school systems. Yeah. So sometimes uh you know, post-it note on the wall is the best reminder. <laughs> oh yeah, that's Love it. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> So well, uh, g- going uh, back sort of to the 30 years of your illustrious career um, of, as an artist manager, uh, you've represented some some pretty big names in the Canadian like, music scene. And off the top of my head, the Agnes and Kenton Kinton piano duo. You've got the Griffin Trio uh, recently. Uh, Tafel Music has signed on uh, and many more. Um, I'm just curious, was there a particular artist signing on or a specific event throughout your career that made you feel like you really like you had something that you could take and run with and develop into a, a full-blown company or was it just sort of organic
2: it, it was a little organic and and it still feels that way even after 30 years it's um it's amazing how uh i was talking to uh, to, my, to my wife about a potential tour that might formulate and then I still get excited you know it's, it's like here we are all of us coming out of COVID and I know the absolute challenges of trying to reschedule the postponed date you know um, when it's artists like the reference artists, uh, the established artists obviously the role of an agent is to make something that is is financially feasible and uh and yeah financially feasible essentially uh but the problem with COVID right now is that if the tour that was canceled was six dates or eight dates you know the budget worked based on six dates but now two of the six are ready to book and the other four are not or you know that type of situation so it's it's been extremely painful and and definitely these past 16 17 months um we i'm very proud with with seven of my other colleagues started a new organization uh, specifically an association for agents and managers here in canada something that we haven't had um it's important to on, on a mental health issue that's You know, we feel the pain of the artists, of course. You know, we we all try so hard to get that engagement. COVID hit. We had to make the phone call. At first we called it cancellation fatigue. Um, I think my last counts. I'm up well over 160, 170 cancellations. Um, And now when we're trying to rebook dates, it's not going to work. So like double pain. So, you know, just having the, the the collegial aspect of my colleagues in this association has been very helpful during this time. Uh, but as far as what you were saying, uh, earlier on in my career, I was fortunate to work with people like the St. Lawrence String Quartet um, with a Grammy-winning producer, who you know, to this day I still respect as one of the most musical guitarists, Norbert Kraft. Um, yeah, you know, there are a few Pinnacle movement moments. Uh, getting Norbert into L.A. was was one of them. Uh, hearing the Saint Lawrence at 92nd Street Y was one of them. Uh, but you know, even last week, we I got my my young cellist Cameron Crossman uh, a date that conflicted because of COVID rescheduling, uh, and then it all worked out, and and he'll play Women's Musical Club here in Toronto equally exciting you know it's i i still have that spark every time i nail the takes it's still a yes so i I guess that's what fueled me for 30 years and then after that you know being at the back of the hall and uh and watching the artist perform and knowing that's uh uh i was instrumental for lack of a better term the conduit in which the artist gets this platform to share their artistic excellence and things that, you know, as the artists, you eventually have mastered your instrument and then have come together as an ensemble to have a shared vision, uh, to come out and perform on a stage to to make an intangible and tangible difference in the audience that like that area. Like that to me is absolutely amazing. Um, and of course, um, as an agent with the money aspect so uh, it isn't great in this one you know I, I wish i could get the type of commission that sell toronto real estate these days but uh, <laughs> but you know for 30 know. years yeah exactly <laughs> yeah, after 30 years I, I think i'm doing something right to to be able to stay in business so. right yeah
0: well i think at this point we should pivot to education just a little bit um there's no more obvious statement than there's a lot of reform needed in music education, both. um, Well, not, not even both. Like as performers, you know, we go through school and, and we're taught to sit in a practice room and get good at our instruments. And then we're, we're, you know, expected to sit on stage and be good at our instruments. But then at a certain point we have to talk to the audience and boy, isn't that a shock the first time you do it and even you know you were referencing covid we we just got back on stage uh two weeks ago for the first time in a year and a half and to not have an audience to you know you tell a joke and when they when there's no laughter boy (laughs) it's it's not even that it wasn't funny i hope it's that there was no one there it's like if a tree falls in the woods and no one's there to hear it doesn't make any noise um what advice do you give to both people on, on your on your roster, but also like in the work that you do at the University of Toronto and, and the faculty, or pardon me, and um, the Royal Conservatory of Music, when it comes to speaking to the audience, How getting over that awkward kind of, you know, please enjoy mm. endings to your sentences.
2: With no further ado, yeah. the <laughs> Sonata by Beethoven. <laughs> During COVID these past 16 months, I've I've thought a lot about this aspect of of the pivot, the digital performance, the virtual performance, and and a lot of conversation about uh, my thought about what needs to happen with classical music uh, moving forward post-pandemic. As a musician, and I'm not active the way you guys are, we, I'm sure all of us, when we watch a movie or a television show and we see an actor pretend to play one of our instruments, we cringe. We, you know, we know that that's the treble part of the keyboard and it's all bass sound coming out um, or one of the worst is a violin uh, and we, I know on Facebook, the, the various, uh, groups that we all belong to whenever there's a bad pose of a photographer taking a picture of you know it's like you do not cradle your French horn in your right arm you know et cetera. Et cetera.
0: Is that what I've been doing wrong all these years?
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly so um, I, I think one of the biggest things for classical musicians is that during this time of COVID we have all shared ourselves, our, our art form, our, our presence through a screen. Before COVID, the only people that came over a screen was an actor or an, a male actor and female actor. And here we are in their backyard. We didn't like how they were in our backyard. We marginally, for lack of a better term, suck in their backyard. There's something to be said. I, I watch partially for uh, to, to keep up with what's happening in entertainment. I watch the Grammys. I watch the American Music Awards. I watch the Junos, and the pop artists who whose career needs to include developing videos. They understand what it's like to perform through a camera to an unseen audience. Classical musicians don't. So I, I haven't quite answered your first part of the question. I sort of jumped to something a little bit more immediate right now. I think all musicians need acting classes. They need, uh, they need to understand what it's like to to look into the camera even though you know in my setup here um, you're, you're there, there's three of us on the screen right now. And, and if I was just to keep looking at Tristan, then I'm not making eye contact. So little things like that. I think it's, it's very important. School programs, it's, I think that's also something that's, that's fantastic in the past 30 years. That's when I got an opportunity to stand in the classroom and share some of my knowledge of what is out there. Um, it's hard to capsulate, encapsulate uh, 25 years of my experience and knowledge in, in a, in a you know, one and a half hour class. But hopefully it was enough to open the door for those students who choose to pursue a career uh, to realize that it's more than just four hours of this or as win players, you know, 30 minutes of that. <laughs> we can't blow that long. We can't so, Um
0: Physical limitations, Andrew. They tell us that from day one.
2: That's right. My, my <laughs> lips, my lips, I, I need to, so. <laughs> so. So from that point of view, it, it, you know, it is important, but at the same time, again, going back to the statement that's why do we think we are unique? I think I'm not very, uh, and, and as you guys both experienced in my classes, and, and all the, uh, not that there's a topic of conversation among students, but there's always a bit of a downer, you know, like all your life, the, the studio individual teaching is there to pump you up in your capability, your artists, artistry, your technique capability. And then all of a sudden in comes this agent's manager who, uh, who sort of tells you that, yeah, talent is important, but there's 99 different things that you also have to do uh, and no one else is going to do it for you. And, and, Oh, if you don't have the money to pay someone else, or oh, if you don't have the money, wait in line. Uh, so, so I think there there's many aspects with reform. the The great thing is, is that um, schools are open to having specialists come in, industry specialists. Uh, I've been fortunate at the Glenn Gold School, of Royal Conservatory, to have been given an opportunity to develop a curriculum. You know, and sometimes I think the one-off, you know, guest speaker courses, you know, sure they say, uh, uh, jack of all trades, master of none, which is still better than a master of one. You know, there's actually a uh, saying to that, right? And it's, but, but nonetheless, I think I've been fortunate to be able to develop a full year curriculum for the arts diploma program for, for the undergraduate kids. Uh, that involves all aspects, but as as I said, you know, it's it's no different than uh, if I was to just quickly use uh, dentistry. Most people coming out of dental school in the you know the Canadians who go to the U.S. they're saddling a hundred and fifty thousand dollars in student loan, and they come back here. And for them to open up a three chair office, and that's literally what they call it. You know, if you walk into your dentist's office, there's three rooms or four rooms. You're looking at 750 to a million dollar to set up shop. You know, that's a pretty good violin. That's uh, a pretty good cello. Um, So they too, it's more than just fixing teeth and, and, uh, and likewise with restaurants. Rumor has it that these big corporate restaurants now are spending a hundred thousand on press release to, for, for the launch of a restaurants. So it's, it's more than just great cooking. And, and likewise with the career of an artist, we always think that our investment was sitting in the basement practicing for 12 years. A chef practiced many years, um, a dentist also practiced many years. So we, there, there is a huge area of uh, business and administration that has to be given as much attention. Going back to that first question, and I apologize, that's what's, what do I feel about students having to, or students, sorry, um, artists having to talk from the stage I've I've always said you would never walk on stage as an ensemble, as a soloist, as a recitalist and sight read something. And sight reading something with an instrument that you have mastered for the past 20 years, as you said, Jay, Mm -hmm. what makes you think you can walk on stage and talk? Acting takes as much practice as much preparation, uh, as much commitment to, as your piece of music. If you spent eight months developing that piece of music to the point where you feel comfortable performing it, how long did you spend in your preparation for what you're going to say about it? Yeah. So I think this is something that's, you know, some people are a natural, more natural, um, but overall, it's, you know, I think at this point, even after 30 years and having taught many years and then being invited to speak and resume things and, and panels, I've pretty much been asked the same type of questions in the net. But nonetheless, even with you, I sort of wanted to make sure, you know, were you going to throw uh, a wild question out of the blue? And and I think artists have to realize that too. And at the end of the day, you know, if we look at the pop artists, um, you know, we, we classical musicians are sort improved of because of the financial success of pop artists. First of all, pop artists—the ones we know—there are a thousand, or two thousand, or five thousand for every one that we know, just like classical music. Um, and the ones that we do know are fantastic at interviews. They're fantastic at at what they're the art form. They're fantastic at the image they portray. So it is a lot of thinking, a lot of uh, careful thoughts, and, and it's more than just music. So I think if there's there's any message for emerging young artists, is that's every aspect of it has to be given equal thought. I always, I don't know if I use this example for you guys, but our, our parents, most, most of you guys, you know, the, the corporate work week is a 40-hour week. If we are full-time musicians, how many hours are you practicing? Okay, let's say 20 hours a week. What are you doing for the other 20? Well, there should be 10 hours for administration, five hours for research, five hours for, you know, so... So there is, there lies, you know, we just think of those, those 20 hours.
0: Right. It's, it's so. It was interesting when we got ready to go to our first conference, especially, I think it was the, when we were headed out to contact East in, was it 2017 Tristan?
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: I, on purpose, I watched 11 seasons of Shark Tank to listen to people speaking about their product, to listen to like people who are looking to sell their product. and it became very evident when you hear an um or an er, or when every response starts with, so my idea was, and, and you just realize how quickly, it, you know, if I was picking up on that from my couch at home, at a conference, if a presenter is hearing the same responses or the same initial responses, it's very easy to tune that out. It becomes very easy to just think that they don't have their, you know, together, exactly giving it a little bit like we have this this running joke in the hogtown brass that we try not to say please enjoy at the end of an introduction of a piece of music um partly because i'd like to think by the time we get to the show you're going to enjoy our performance whether you like the piece or not which is maybe arrogant but also everybody says it and so by saying it we contribute nothing we're not saying anything original uh or that they haven't heard before obviously we find people with beers we go, we have a good time. It's, it's a bit, or like a whiskey fine, something, you know, it, it's, it becomes a game. Um, but, you know, the best part about your course, when we were both at the conservatory was that you were there week after week, hitting us with this, like, be unique, say your message, don't add words that don't need to be there. Just tell your story, right? And it really, a, a succinct pitch or a succinct story or a joke that you know, is going to land will, only make your performances better.
2: It's, it's thank you, I'm, you know, it's funny. I, I never know what clicks with students and what doesn't click with students. And and, and it's tough as as I, as I alluded to earlier that uh, I'm quite often the first time any student is, is told to show up to a class where, uh, you know, you can bleep this out. I'm not blowing sunshine up there. But you know it's like I'm sorry you may be the best artist in the world but if you don't have your materials together if you don't have your photos well at the end of the day it's not just you selling yourself to a concert organizer that concert organizer has to in turn sell you to ticket buyers if if your picture looks like you know your roommate took a took a, a selfie with you or or that's your biography reads like, you know, a great eight uh, history essay. This doesn't work. It's, it's you know, and, and and that's sort of the hard part of trained classical environments, uh, because it's, you know, I, I don't want to use terms like colonialism. I don't want to use terms like uh, privilege, elitist, uh, pretentious. like I said, we need to sort of, without saying that, it's not a matter of dumbing down, because I think on the contrary, if I talked about restaurants from 50 years ago, that industry has absolutely come up to the point where you look at it, like Toronto, and the the culinary experiences are are extremely uh, international to a certain level, and sophisticated. Uh, Yet, classical musicians classical music not quite follow suit and and without sounding uh, too harsh we've marginally dumbed down our products um, how can we uh, advance the industry and, and definitely conversation uh, to, to have and, and I have my opinions obviously about that but uh, um, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's important that a career has to be more than just music. And we always have to remember that what we have continues to move forward to another person's responsibility. That's funny you should say, uh, Jerry Maguire back in 94, was it? Um, then for 95. Uh, what's interesting is that you remember Obviously, the the famous line, "Show me the money." I remember the line, "Help me, help you."
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: You know, and and to a certain level, Cuba Gooden Jr.'s character was had this chip on, on his shoulder as as the non-marquee artist, a non-marquee football player, and Jerry McGuire was trying to say, "Well, you know, you, you frown after you score a touchdown, or." Or you, you never do the interviews and everyone sees you as as the sour, bitter person. I, I always laugh at the end of a concert that we enjoy. And so we support our friends and we attend their concerts. Uh, and we go backstage to congratulate them. And what tends to be one of the first things the performing artist says to their friends?
0: Well, first words are what we've everything we messed up.
2: Exactly.
0: <laughs>
2: think about that, right? Like, think about, you know, let's let's change that to the other two industries I talked about: restaurants and dentistry. Could you? Do you want to go to a dentist? <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> or or to the restaurant where the chef comes out and says, "Oh, you had that one." Oh, sorry, I messed up. You know, no, and and. And so, you know, that's part and parcel. And then being very simplistic with that example, but am I being, you know, like... You're,
0: you're not, though. You're, you're kind of nailing it right on the head. Um, <sighs> yeah. You know, we have to elevate our own product. Exactly. No one's going to exactly. elevate it for us. Exactly. If, if, if you're not putting out a product that's entertaining, then you can't expect people to be entertained.
2: Right. Yeah. And, and there, there's, you know, we quickly use the term entertaining is almost a derogatory term, but you're right, to a certain level, at the end of the day, if I'm gonna spend $30, if I'm gonna spend $50, if I'm gonna spend $75, I'm giving up my experience at a restaurant. Mm -hmm. A restaurant is both, you know, it feeds me physically and it can be entertaining. So we are, at the end of the day, vying for wallet space is sort of the corporate terminology for that. Mm-hmm. And and how how are we doing that? And and it's interesting, I think COVID has really reared one aspect of classical musician life that we never really thought about. Where's our fan base? You know, if you think about the singer-songwriter, they walk into a, a coffee house and they do two sets with a rotation of 30 people per set. They want to leave there with 60 new Facebook friends, Instagram followers, Twitter followers. What are classical musicians doing? What's, uh, how many times, you know, definitely not the case now because we're finally waking up a bit. Uh, But even artists who weren't happy to do CD signings and post-concert receptions um i know hard to believe yeah there's
1: uh, <laughs> there's always this mentality of like okay folks shows over i'm going home right but, you know some of the best community relationships we've built is at that cd signing desk when they come up and thank us and we talk about shared experiences and kind con- concert experiences and it's one of the most rewarding for both parties and it and you know they're going to come back the next time you're in town so well
2: i as i sadly say the you know when When a singer-songwriter walks out and sees 30 people uh, in the hall, they think of 30 new followers and friends. When a classical musician sees 30 people out in the audience, they think someone else screwed up their job. So, (laughs) you know, I I think... If that
0: was a Hogtown Browse show, 30 people would be just... That'd be amazing.
2: But, uh, yeah, you know, there's a lot of conversation that, that needs to happen uh it's it's a little bit tough because um schools don't necessarily share my my position um because it, it, it's not that I want to be negative about it and I know that that's sort of the uh the general feel of, of my class but <laughs> at the end of the day it's like I've been out on the trenches for 30 years. I believe in the product. Like if I did, I would have quit a long time ago. There is importance to this music. There's importance in sharing, you know, like how do, how do these notes from 300 years ago still mean something in 2021? And I believe in that, that, that communication. I believe in that story. But it's a complex time, it, it truly is. We are distracted more and more with everything that is around us that is available. So how can we continue to seek relevance in our community with the art form that we're pursuing? And part of that is, is that we realize that it's not the common, you know, if you look historically, it was taught in schools, classical music, you know. This, this little composer named J.S. Bach wrote it for churches. You know, whether it was the Lutherans and then the Catholics used a lot of it. Mozart, the Passions, the, the, the Masses, the Cantatas. And we know that participation and, and, and involvement in church congregations has declined in North America. So people aren't hearing music. And therefore, it's become more the responsibility of performing artists today to take on that role, not just as performer, but as advocates, as as information sharing. Um, so the role of an agent of energy going full circle back to how much that has changed. Our role has changed as much as the performer's role has changed. And, and I think, you know, if we can have a concerted effort uh, in, in sort of spreading the word. You know, um, I, I think we can all be much more successful moving forward, especially post-pandemic. So.
1: Yeah, I, I really like, love what you've said, you know, about um, learning other skills apart from playing your instrument, because at the end of the day, you can be the world's greatest violinist, but if you don't know how to talk about yourself, write a biography, write a grant proposal, you're not gonna probably not gonna make a career out of it. And, you know, not to not to blow smoke uh, here, Andrew, but uh, I actually found your course to be one of the most illuminating of my entire post-secondary uh, time. Um, Cause you know, I had just been practicing and performing recitals and it's always an expectation that you talk at recitals. I always avoided it. And then, you know, once I hit your class and you, you talked a lot about storytelling from the stage and you know, why is this relevant today and that kind of stuff. Um, but one of the things that we really took away from that was, was was content that you need to create. So on top of biographies, you know, if you find yourself going to a, a trade conference, you know, Ontario contact or contact East, one of those, there are a lot of materials you need to create, submit, bring with you in order to promote your product. Essentially. At the end of the day, we are a business selling a product. Um, you know, we've only been to four or five of those conferences, but I've always known a very wide range of let's call them aesthetics choices at each booth. Um, you know, what materials agents and artists bring, what they don't, what, uh, what are things that you would say are like absolutely necessary for a conference and maybe some things you could ignore or not do. It's, it's interesting. I was just on a uh, conference developments co-
2: uh, call yesterday with Kamikoa, hmm. and you know, definitely there's reopening now and, and there's challenges if Ontario stays at indoor cap of 50 and there's 40 agents registered. So do we only allow 10 presenters in the room at that time? So who knows about that? And and let's continue to get the message out. Let's get vaccinated. Let's keep the numbers down. Let's reopen. We all need it. We all need human contact. We all need human interaction. Um, going back to your specific question, it's, it's a tough one to, to, to have the right or wrong answer. I think everyone has a different way of making that connection. At the end of the day, for me, I, I use the George Costanza dating method uh, you know, leave something in, in the other person's house so you'd go back for a second date, so to speak.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, that's a Seinfeld reference for those <laughs> young people who have no idea what I'm referring to. So, uh, so uh, to me, I want to make sure that if I'm in contact with someone who's interested in the artist, they have something physically in their hand to take with them. Whether that ends up in the hotel recycling, I have no control of that. To me, my, my position is that at least before they put it into the recycling, they saw the artist's name again. Um, it's funny, I, I I still bring this, this uh, piece of promotional material called a compact disc. It's this round thing. <laughs> uh only because I, I haven't found a good way to do a USB stick mm-hmm. um, I somewhere on my desk here there I saw I was at a conference and met uh, an organization who uh, gave me a very cool USB stick that was in the shape of a microphone you know and, and actually I have one right here from the uh, philharmonic chorus of, of, uh, of London symphony you know and, and I sort of look at this and, and it's like I, I know what I've done with this already like I've already formatted it over and I use it so I've lost the data sorry you know most people who go to our provincial conferences uh, many of them drive and many cars still have a CD player uh, so I, I figured, hey, okay, you know, CDs don't cost that much. There's I can put an image on the CD. I can put an image on the jewel box. Maybe they'll they'll throw out the press kit. I actually don't bring press kits anymore because I know, mm. um, but I bring I bring one sheets uh, or a sales sheet, and, uh, you know, a promotional flyer, and I give people a recording. I hope that that recording gets into someone's car, gets into someone's computer. Uh, But I also, I know that all of my artists have audio material available. And in my follow-up, going back to what Jay was asking, how do you keep track of that? It's still hard, you know, we go to conferences with a pen and pad, Um, then I email the follow-up and the follow-up will have four or five links of performances of pieces. So even from the point of view of what is required from an artist today, uh, that has changed. There was a time when, when, you know, we we're very happy with, uh, you know, a cassette take of a live performance. Today, it's quality has to be perfect. Uh, there's not, no question about it. There can't be, you know, program shuffling in the background. It can't be, uh, you know, uh, a Zoom, Zoom uh, HD or uh, Portable recorder in you know grandma's purse uh, recording quality just has to be perfect and it has to be available. So again I, I'm extremely long-winded in, in answering that question. I want to make sure someone at a conference has something tactile uh, to take with them. Um, I was ironic that's one of my Course evaluations. Uh, a student said, "Let's be real. Who still burns CDs?" I don't know. I do i I've done 175 of these conferences. How many have they done? So yeah. <laughs> maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. So
1: <laughs> I think you have a couple of things uh, nailed down there. A, a really random fact about my possible hoarding is I actually still have my binder from your class with notes about grant writing. <laughs> <laughs> or further it once in a while that's okay <laughs> but it's a, it's a good
0: point that you made though about the quality of the material that you have like supporting material because like primary materials like you're saying the one sheets the sales sheets the cd but it's never been easier to capture high quality audio and video we all have computers in our pockets that right. in better definition than most of the tv we watched growing up right um so you know, I think there's no time, excuse. Yeah, we get bogged down in the details, right? Like, we want to shoot angles, we want to do things. Put your phone at the front of the stage in a way that no one's going to see it, and you have archival footage. And if right you need it, it's there. If you nail it, it's throw it on the internet, right? Like, it's honestly, like, I think, and I think Tristan and I go at each other sort of on this a lot. Like, we, it would be great to hire a recording engineer and set up a ton of mics and do this in a way that that would be really, really, really special. But we can probably get 75% of that with a couple of mics around the stage and a, and a 1080, you know, camera at the front of the stage. We can do a good enough job to get someone's attention and then go and, and actually then put together the proper product. And I think a lot of times, and that maybe is the big difference. Like you would talk to, I remember you talking about the pop music thing in your class a lot too, right? And like, I think the thing I did on Tuesday nights for the first six months of the pandemic was watch really crappy footage of old Metallica concerts that Metallica would put live every week, right? It wasn't all shot in high definition with crazy camera angles. Sometimes it was a camera that was next to the drums and it was just really cool to see how they did their jobs. And it didn't take away from the artistic integrity of, of what they were doing or the quality of the music. Um, I don't know where I'm kind of going with this, but I think a lot of times just we're waiting for permission to do something and just do it because you, you have the tools and it's real. It's never been easier to get video from your phone onto a recording station into YouTube and then into someone's hands. That's seconds anymore.
2: That being said, the question is there are, you know, Raskin chats, obviously are not as, popular as the string quartets. Uh, brass quintet is not as popular as the string quartets, which is not as popular as a violin, piano, duo. Um, so, my question would be, uh, after you've recorded yourself, what separates your great playing with the other hundred brass quintets great playing? And of course, we can't send up uh, you know, Dallas Brass up to really, you know, economically it just doesn't work. Um, we we can't send you guys down to to California economically it doesn't work to, to fly five and pay the visa and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So just because we have the content, yes we can get it out there, but what's more important that I find in this day and age is then you know this I, I guess how have times changed since uh we've been together since uh, you being in my class the priority of what's is called the intro video the promotional press kit the, the the digital press kit not not even the e- electronic press kit but that that's narrative promo piece of who you guys are the personality of Hogtown Brass with a music bed of the great performances. You know, how I have seen artists who used the iPhone quality, but they professionally, or at least uh, had the equipment to professionally record the interview. And then, you know, if you think about it again, we're not that unique in that yes, we are unique, but we the, the world doesn't work differently. Hollywood puts out movies and often it is based on the trailer that sells the movie. What's your trailer? So that's a good one.
0: That's a really good one
2: yeah. <laughs> it's it's a tough question to ask. It's like <laughs> You know, and unfortunately, everyone doesn't want to believe it, doesn't want to care about it, because, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's the old face of, of how important the music is. Right, right. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't know, you know, come join me on a musical journey with works by uh, E.T.U., Shostakovich, Janicek, and and, 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 uh, and a Canadian contemporary, like, what does that mean to me? Quite frankly, in six months, what do I want to read? Come join me in a totally sanitized, socially distant, no touch points, um, well-ventilated space. I don't care what you're playing. So it, it's, things have changed in that sense. Um, I know that uh, in, in the movie world, it literally costs fifty to eighty thousand dollars for that three minutes movie trailer and and actually if you look it up there used to be one guy he just passed away this past year or two years uh he was the voice of all movie trailers of Hollywood. Yeah and uh, Love that. uh one yeah, man. And yeah exactly you know if <laughs> if you if you hear it then you go wow all well, right right but there you go you know like that three minute video is is what makes or breaks the movie often what's our video and and capturing the iphone of live performances the more you have the more options you have to to create that video but if you're going to spend money i would say spend it there um, and spend it in a way that you can write five questions or seven questions that all of you think about that's you know answers the passion question about why you're doing this why do you think you're different who who are you trying to connect with uh why does the music inspire you um and what do audiences expect or what what do you want audiences to to get out of a uh, honking uh brass performance
0: that's fantastic that's fantastic thank you um so in an effort now to culminate everything we've just spent the last half hour talking about, um, what's a
2: ten out of ten showcase for
0: me? What's a ten out of ten showcase? What does that look like? And <laughs> what, you know, it, with all the change in the industry, with with digital materials and with you know a destuffification of classical music, perhaps, you know, do you still want to see a group walk out in suits and ties, and and or, or what does that look like to you? Like if you were put yourself in the in the shoes of a presenter. You have 15 minutes to decide if you're gonna book an ensemble. What what do you want to see?
2: Um, I think the appearance is not as strict as it used to be, but at the same time, you know, I don't, I don't want to go to a restaurant and and see my weight staff looking like they rolled out of bed. You know, you know, like there, there's nothing wrong with looking good. Um so that's you know. And then I remember years when I'm old fashioned enough to say, why, why get dressed up to a concert? It's because I respect the artists who respect the music. Um, you know, you respect your friend's occasion of their wedding. You respect your friend's occasion of a parent passing. You get dressed up for that. This is music that's, you know, I, I always say, when Mozart died, when Mozart lived in Vienna, Vienna was a very cultural mecca during that time. It was it was notated. It was in the history books that there's something like seventy four other composers living in Vienna at that time. Name me seventy three of them. Anyone? Okay. So because of the movie, everyone knows Salieri. Name me the next one. You know, like yeah van hall if you're a geek like me you know i I could probably name a handful but uh saint george was he there at the same time anyhow i believe believe so so. okay so this is a drinking game
0: that's flex number two i think
2: (laughs) van (laughs) hall actually was uh, also wrote string quartets and uh, he played second fiddle to mozart in in, so anyhow um what's a 10 out of 10 showcase at the end of the day for me it's always artistic excellence i I need that that's that's my baseline if if you suck i don't care how good your stage talk is i don't care how good you look if the music isn't there you've lost me um so so that's that's my bare minimum after that, I want to see that you can engage with audiences. I want to see that you uh, respect the the situation we're in. The you know at, at the end of the day. Um, I think I wish all schools as a major assignment would force kids to present their own present themselves at a paid ticket event. Sure, any of us can do a free concert, you know. Any restaurant can say they've are you know, they got a thousand people coming when it's a free restaurant, but as soon as you put a price tag on. Um, so a 10 out of 10, within those 15 minutes, did you show me the arch of your show? Did you give me a good representation of what it is that I can imagine a full concert being? So to a certain level, I don't need to see that you can play everything in the kitchen sink. Uh, maybe it is that one program, you know, before we started the recording, I, I asked you, does your show have a title? You know, will that, will that showcase, will that spotlight give people, give the buyer enough of an explanation of what they will expect from that show? And from that point of view, I, I think sometimes classical musicians um, try to do a little bit too much um, so I, I don't need that. I, I was on a panel for Global Toronto a conference uh, in the second year. Uh, I, I was there last year and in my 30 years showcasing or spotlighting or whatever term um, oh so for those who you know we, we use these terms so freely, showcasing is a terminology in our industry that's at our trade shows which are conferences for lack of a better term you are given depending on the conference 10 15 20 minutes to perform in front of all the buyers this is a golden opportunity for emerging and actually it's not just emerging uh, the 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 presenters meaning the concert organizers the venues uh, their administration changes over time so even established artists. I love the fact that one of Canada's premier folk musician, Valdi, will showcase a market every eight years, ten years. And, you know, everyone says, well, everyone knows Valdi. Valdi comes out with a new album. He's going to promote that. His showcase will reflect that. But but at the same time, Valdi always will do one of his great hits. You know, So, Um, So to answer that, that's what a showcase is. The past three decades, the showcase has become uh, borderline a science. It is something that all of us can play 15 minutes in our sleep. Uh, I concurrently trained as a musician, as a pianist, as a church organist. Um, And what put me through university was playing weddings and and church services. And, you know, 15 minutes is most brides late, you know, entry. So I just sat there improvising for 15 minutes, Um, not too hard. And and so often earlier in my career, people would say, oh, 15 minutes. I can, we'll, we'll, we'll just, I'll start with a hide in and then we'll do, to, uh, you know, a movement of Beethoven and play something fast. There was no reason, there's no purpose in doing that. Uh, often they would run long. They, would, uh, they wouldn't know what to say about it. I've seen showcases where classical artists didn't say anything and just walked on and played for 14 and a half minutes. Oof. So Oof. how much has, what's a 10 out of 10? That 10 out of 10 requires rehearsal. I was fortunate, I often will sit in and work with my artists in their preparation of showcases. We go through the music. I challenge them and say, why do you think this piece? I don't think anyone knows that piece. I need something else. Uh, That piece is gonna be too long. Can you do a piece like that? So it's become science because you have one chance and as, cliche as this sounds there's no second chance at a first impression and and so uh you gotta practice it you you practice everything from speaking and you practice everything from allowing people to laugh if you're going to crack a joke and you're under that 15 minute uh time clock you know great comedians there, there's the breathing of the show. There's that temple of, of phrasing, you know, it's music, right? Uh, so have we worked that? And, and it's funny because I, um, I remember a showcase with my piano dual team in and Kinton in, uh, in Bellingham, Washington for Arts Northwest. And we rehearsed it. But we forgot that audiences in the US tend to be a little bit more vibrant and excitable. And Anagnason and, and Kinson were, were doing a Mozart and then they were doing an excerpt for the a Blue Danube. And then they were going to do Gershwin, a Rhapsody in Blue, excerpt. And they loved, they loved it. They clapped. And they clapped really long after the Blue Danube because it's this great it's a running double octaves going both ways on both pianos. And, and they were just hollering and hooting. And they, we couldn't start the, the final piece. Sure enough, we ran over time, and oh. and they killed the lights on us. Oh. But fortunately, it almost looked uh, uh, planned because at the end of it, we saw the silhouettes of two grand nine foot pi- pi- pianos on stage with backlit curtains, and it just looked absolutely oh. beautiful. My. Listening to Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue, that one worked out. <laughs> I I've seen you know country and western artists, folk musicians, where the soundboard just goes. No sound. So we respect each other. Everyone's given that same fifteen minutes. Um, it doesn't mean you have to use it all. You can use thirteen of it. No one's ever screamed like, "Oh, those artists, uh, you know, cut me short two minutes of showcase time." So uh, it's it's the the ten out of ten has to capture all of that. You know, it's it's a lot of thinking, and at the end of the day. It has to tell me a really good snapshot of what your full show is gonna be. So if your full show, you know, most of our shows tend to have an arch of, of a thing. Well, with those 15 minutes, it's a slope up to the, you know, up to the apex. And we have to capture that. We don't have a chance to do the encore. We don't have a chance to to play that familiar piece if we don't play it. That, that piece has to be factored in. So it's scary to, to hear this, but yeah, you know, and, and I've often said, um, you know, Vladimir Horowitz, perhaps the greatest pianist in humankind to, to walk in this globe. And that's opinion, you know, some people didn't like him, whatever. But for a career, you know, he, he had a good career. And here's someone who, back in the day, pianist would line up overnight for his tickets. Um, when he finally went back to Moscow in 81 or 82, they gave him a eight-minute standing ovation before he played the first note. Um, you know, pretty good uh, artistic capability. Yet, he will still play uh, a Schumann Uh Here in North America, he would do uh, the it's sort of uh Sarasate Carmen Fantasy or the Souza Stars and Stripes. Mm-hmm. And these are popular songs, you know, and then going to the pop and rock world. Imagine going to a Rolling Stones, a Bon Jovi show, and them not doing a single classic in that album, you know. Right. Yep. Well, perhaps we need to think about that. Uh, a little bit more as it's classical musicians. Um, people don't know who you are. You're going to a new town. This isn't a re-engagement yet. This is a introduction to that community. Uh, it's like a new restaurant. If they don't know the chef, if they, if they don't know the menu, they're not coming in. After they get to know you, they'll come back to try new things. But you're coming in as a new menu and new chef. You better have a familiar hamburger on that on that menu,
1: so love that analogy love it i try (laughs) i've been to a few of those things
0: (laughs) so andrew you've been so generous with your time today um i wanted to give you wanted to give you an opportunity do you have anything you'd like to plug or promote uh before we uh sign off today
2: uh come visit my website andrewquanartist.com it's uh it's dated. Um, it's, <laughs> we, Has there been a we, pandemic
0: or something? Geez.
2: Apparently, apparently. You know, it, it's interesting because I, on this phone call, uh, on this Zoom, I should say, uh, with Capicoa, which is a conference organization, advocacy organized service organization in our industry at a national level. Um, you know, things that we didn't think and talk about, and, and that's, They are gearing up for an in-person conference in Ottawa this November. Uh, Jay can fully understand this. You know, I'm sure all of us are vaccinated, but we can still be carriers. And we've got two kids at home. That's You've got two, right, Jay?
0: I've got two.
2: Right. And there's been no studies about those age groups getting vaccinated anytime soon. So do I go to a conference or not? And, uh, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's, uh, and how much, you know, in, in a group of three, it's a great hang. Uh, I hope the listeners will enjoy some of the things that I share, um, but at these conferences where it's just talking heads, yep. and you're just staring at a screen for six hours, eight hours,
0: hours. I participated in the Intex conference in January uh, which is a ticketing conference, and it was in this Second Life digital reality, which was exhausting. Two days into a four-day conference, I was tired of staring at my screen. Um, but now we're creating material for digital distribution alone, and it's—you've um, given such great advice today about engaging your audience and engaging the people that you're, you're kind of you're preparing for. Um, I think the biggest single reality check that we got over the last year and a bit was that it's a different ball game and, and you're not going to nail it the first time, Um, but just keep trying. Like, you know, you didn't play a C major scale the first time or perfectly the first time you tried, or maybe you did. And that's why you're not hosting a podcast on a Friday afternoon, (laughs) but it's, you know, they take effort and they, and, and, you know, you learn skills and then you learn how to do this stuff. And, and it makes you better. It makes you better at what you do, and it allows you to appreciate people that do it really, really well.
2: Uh, well, and, and you know, the two of you guys have have been uh, diligent and, and uh, industrious in, in your in your observation and your in your uh, attention span to all of these details. And yeah, it's it's uh, the very fact that I see. You know, two very snazzy microphones there. Is that that's the AKG <laughs> cardioid? Is that a, snowball there um, and then you know the fact that you guys are here we are 16, 17 months in and, and figuring out different ways of engaging of, uh, your followers, your audiences by offering podcasts it, it's, it all bolts extremely well and, uh, and another industry analogy it's you know, 50 years ago I, I'm you know, if, if your, your parents walked into Loblaws, they would buy milk, bread, and beef and walk into a Loblaws today. And you're buying all of those things and you're buying beer and wine and you're buying clothes and insurance and televisions and pharmaceutical. Um, yeah, it's it, everything has become a little bit more complex. And we can't just be a one-trick pony. Um, we need to and even our materials and I was thinking about that Tristan as you said what's going to a conference Uh, sometimes now my one sheet is not just the biography and the quotes it's the program proposal it's the program idea and to what level am I helping and I don't want to say helping I more in partnership with concert organizations Uh, I'm writing blurb promotional blurb for them uh, because I know the program I know the messaging I want them to have and and a lot of these organizations the municipal venues have a multi-genre specialist and we know that classical music is not their forte Um, that's sure it's great to graduate from Juilliard but at the end of the day everyone graduated somewhere so What's the marketing wording that you want in 20 words to capture your show? I'm providing uh, that type of content to to concert organizers today uh, because I don't want them to uh, to write, you know, join us on a musical journey with works by Janacek and baxter and you know. So
0: please uh, enjoy.
2: Please enjoy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Awesome. So well, on, on that note, I'm going to say thank you so much for your time. Hopefully I could get to see both of you guys. It's been way too long. Um, hopefully yep. there will be some glow-in-the-dark bowling and, and draft beers again. <laughs>
1: Thanks for joining us for Hogtown Hangs with Jay and Tristan. If you've enjoyed our show and would like to know more, please check out hogtownbrass.com and leave us a rating and review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you find your podcasts. Cheers.